Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is an apostrophe podcast production. Here's one little question that has no simple answer. How does being alone bring us closer? My name is Peg Fong. I'm a journalist and an educator. Come join me as we explore loneliness together. A lone fighter pilot crashes and lands his ship in a desolate, strange place. He was on his way to find a great warrior, but instead he finds an annoying hermit who has been watching him from a distance before cautiously coming closer and allowing himself to be discovered. The hermit rummages through the pilot's stuff. He tosses out what doesn't interest him, eats the pilot's rations, then sees something that grabs his attention. A shiny lamp. It's of use in the dark forest and swamp where no light comes through and in the shadows where the hermit exists. He demands the lamp as his reward for taking the lost pilot to the destination he's searching for. But first, there are lessons to be learned and lessons to unlearn, stillness and balance, figuring out what can be done instead of what can't be done. Moving stones around, sunken ships to raise, how to be alone with our own thoughts, and belief in why we are all searching for some meaning in our loneliness. Hermits have something to share with us. Train yourself to let go of all that you know. Focus on your present, not the future. These aren't just the sayings of Yoda, but they are rooted in ancient and still present beliefs of people who call themselves hermits. 
In the science fiction universe, Yoda may be the most famous hermit of all, and the second might be one of his disciples, Obi-Wan Kenobi. But go back throughout history, hundreds and even thousands of years, and hermits have played important, even vital roles in teaching those on the outside a lesson in how to be alone. If we go back to the medieval and even the pre-medieval period, of course, you know, when you think about contemplatives, people would probably want to start by naming the Buddha about 500 BC, and then Jesus, and then Muhammad. Historian Michael Vargas, who teaches at State University of New York in New Paltz, has long been interested in symbols and leadership logics. In the case of all three of these religious founders, the Buddha, Jesus, and Muhammad, Professor Vargas says they were initially engaged with those around them, then recognized problems and began developing a desire to confront their feelings of dissatisfaction. And then all three of them retreated. And for different periods of time in that retreat space, discovered something or realized something or These days, the word retreat has connotations of luxury, of getaways. How many of us have asked or been asked this question? Where are you going to go when you travel again? Even during lockdowns, people, those who could afford it, went to exotic resorts. We consider going on retreats when we want to recharge, when we want to reinvigorate our purpose in life. And hermits have been doing the same for thousands of years. Call someone a hermit these days, and you're referring to someone who has shielded themselves from the outside world. In some cases, there is a misanthropic intent. They don't want to be among humans. They have grave doubts about humankind. In historical and religious references, hermits are also known as contemplatives. And throughout history, says Professor Vargas, these contemplatives have tackled the big issues of their time, like a public demonstration of religious faith. In the middle of the 4th century, St. Anthony became one of the first known religious figures to retreat to the desert to live a life of contemplation. When the desert wasn't deserted enough for him, he sealed himself in a cave and was dependent on villagers to bring him food that they left outside. He, in some respects, recognized that the Roman Empire was declining in some ways. What had been Rome was going away. It's being replaced by something Christian and something new, something that he profoundly felt connected to. But at the same time, he was living with people who were calling themselves Christian that he didn't really feel fit the Christian story. So he was, again, searching for something that he thought was more vital and really Christian in in his terms, I suppose. The devil was supposed to have tried to lure St. Anthony out of his solitude by inflicting him with laziness, boredom, and the phantoms of women. But St. Anthony stayed in his retreat, and people began to recognize how unusual his behavior was. Not only did people take note of St. Anthony's odd behavior in completely isolating from everyone else, they began to see that this was a model for contemplation. 
and they wanted to follow him. Keen to become hermits themselves, they began establishing caves next to St. Anthony. To this day, in Syria, there are hills pockmarked with these caves that followers of St. Anthony lived in. Over its long history, the area was part of a wider valley network called Kadisha, where hundreds of hermitages, churches, caves, and monasteries once made their homes. A community was built up around one hermit throughout the years and then closed down one by one. The monastery of St. Anthony is the last surviving one. Hermits didn't just live in caves. Some chose, as St. Simeon did, to live atop pedestals. In St. Simeon's case, he lived on a pillar, which was said to be two meters or about six feet high, which was extended over decades to 50 feet or 15 meters above the ground. The platform in which he spent 36 years was about one square meter or about 11 square feet. An average bathroom in our modern times, by comparison, is about 30 to 40 square feet. I think a lot of contemplatives probably go into it thinking that that part of them is going to be fulfilled and maybe end up being surprised that they get called to something called would be the word that they would use in their religious vocabulary called to something larger. In the case of St. Anthony and St. Simeon, time away from everyone else living as hermits led to them being sought out by others. There's a certain irony in how others responded. At first, people came because they wanted to be healed or cured by hermits. And then more people went to find these hermits because they too wanted to live as they did in solitude and enlightenment. For six years, Karen Carper Fredette lived as a hermit in a primitive cabin in West Virginia. It was a life of solitude she sought out after spending three decades living as a nun in a monastery in Canton, Ohio, which she entered right after high school. She left the monastery because she didn't feel like she had enough time alone. For some people, their solitude grows internally, and they're able to attain that sense of wanting to be alone through silence. But for Karen Fredette, it wasn't enough. She longed for more isolation, and she received permission to move to a little cabin on her own. Paul was a Catholic priest, and when he left the parish, the two stayed in touch. He, too, was seeking a life of increased solitude. The two of them fell in love and got married 25 years ago. They now live in a house in the mountains of North Carolina, and they named their home Stillwood. We live literally on the mountain, and we're surrounded by forest and mountain. And we can't see from our home, from the windows and the doors of our home, we can, even we look across the valley, we look across an entire valley, we don't see another single home. It's, it's just all forest and mountainside. The nearest town is Hot Springs, 18 miles away, where the population is about 580 people. Since the pandemic began, Paul and Karen's lives have changed. 
when Karen lived as a hermit by herself, she earned her living by working in a parish where Paul worked. Now the two married hermits work together, helping others learn how to become hermits. And Paul Fredette said Karen's experience when they first met more than 25 years ago made him aware of the power of solitude. Karen had kind of more intentional experience with actually living the life of a solitary. I did it mainly because it was a lifestyle of ministry that I had embarked on. And those of us who were working in that particular ministry, we just lived alone. In 2019, they had about 800 requests, but that was before the self-imposed isolation all around the world due to the coronavirus. Now the couple are getting about 2,000 emails every month with people asking them for assistance, people who want to learn about how to live like hermits. Their organization, Raven's Bread Ministry, provide advice on how to live a life of solitude through a quarterly newsletter, email correspondence, and personal guidance via phone calls or Skype or Zoom. Yes, hermits today have electricity and internet and even go to online book clubs. Paul Fredette says it has become clear that the pandemic has increased awareness for many people. As he did, they're learning that being alone during these times isn't enough. They want to be even more alone than they are. You don't need to choose to live an eremitic life, Paul believes. Those who choose such a life, a hermit or a recluse, usually do it as part of a religious vow. It can just happen. I was very comfortable being alone, and I've never been bored alone or wondering what to do. After leaving his parish, Paul Fredette became a counselor in the community. And then over the years, the couple began building their ministry as more and more people started asking for guidance on how to live the life of a hermit. I never really considered myself a bona fide hermit. I considered myself a contemplative and a person who was ministering together with Karen. We were ministering to hermits and religious solitaries throughout the world. Teaching others about hermit life made Paul realize that it was the life that made sense for him. It kind of grew incrementally, even though I don't really care too much for all these categories and names. You know, I'm, I'm much more eremitic now than, than I was earlier in my life. He was a hermit, Paul Fredette says, without giving himself that title. But by understanding more about it and being with someone who identified herself as a hermit gave Paul the knowledge and the certainty of what it meant in today's time. They are not people who have gone off into a cave or gone off into a place in the desert where no one can find them. Most hermits are in a situation where they can't live alone without supporting themselves in some way. And the misconception is that a hermit is a person who does not like to be around people, doesn't have any use for them. I think there's a connotation in many people's minds that it's, it's kind of a misanthropic thing. And it's really not. I mean, obviously, there are some people... Don't wander off into the desert. We'll be right back.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What do I want to do with my life? It's a question that has been asked for as long as there have been questions. It wasn't initially the question that drove Henry David Thoreau into the woods, but it was the question that emerged. Well, I explain is that Thoreau originally went to the pond to write a book about his brother John, who had died but that people were asking him what he was doing there because it was an odd thing for a Harvard graduate to go live in the woods. Jeffrey S. Kramer is the curator at Walden Woods Project's Thoreau Institute. Thoreau lived for two years, two months, and two days by Walden Pond in Concord, Massachusetts. And during that time, he made an attempt to live deliberately and ethically that sort of forced him to think about all the things he was doing and how it relates to society and how he wanted to conduct his own life. And that developed into the book Walden, but it also forced him to start thinking seriously about what do I want to do with my life. As a teacher, I've heard from some of my students over the years, the meaning they took out of Thoreau's life was that it wasn't necessary to have a specific occupation. In his lifetime, Thoreau was a teacher, a pencil maker like his father was, a land surveyor, a carpenter, and a day laborer. Commerce and working for others was, in Thoreau's opinion, a life that was one of quiet desperation. 
It's not enough to be industrious, Thoreau wrote. So are the ants. What are you industrious about? This contemplation from his solitude came at a time when factories were churning out items and shipping them to other places, by trains, by boats, and countries were heralding the arrival of the industrial age. It wasn't that Thoreau was against work, I tell students. He was curious and always questioning. Thoreau worked every day of his life, and what he sought always, every day, was what was the meaning behind what he saw and what he thought. Always thinking in his day and changing his mind about things. So we think about the essay Civil Disobedience and we think of it somewhat as a pacifistic kind of tract. And the person who reads Civil Disobedience could never anticipate that 10 years later Thoreau would be writing about John Brown and saying that there are times when it's okay to pick up a rifle and kill or be killed. Thoreau's thoughts and his writings are still widely read 159 years since his death in 1862. It's thinking that would have only happened if Thoreau had been able to go into solitude and out of it. He didn't stay socially distant his entire time in the woods. But when he was by himself, he was able to realize what he wanted out of his life during that period of seclusion. In his essay, Civil Disobedience, written after Thoreau went into town to fix his shoe and was arrested for not paying a tax, he advocates personal beliefs over unjust laws like slavery and the constraints of society. Those words inspired generations of activists afterwards, from Leo Tolstoy to Gandhi to Martin Luther King. It's a mistake, Jeffrey Kramer believes, to think of Thoreau as living entirely on his own in the woods because he didn't want to be in society. He wanted to know himself better. In that process, he was able to understand his role in the world in a way that others could learn from it. It was not a retreat into loneliness that had no meaning, but it was in solitude that he found even more meaning that question, what do I want to do with my life? Let's do a Jedi mind trick here. Who said the following? It's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. Thoreau or Yoda? Thoreau. Difficult to see, always in motion, is the future. That one is from Yoda. Here's two more quotes, Yoda or Thoreau. Guess. There are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root. Then, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Thoreau said thousands hack at branches of evil. Yoda called fear the path to the dark side. The last one. Not until we are lost do we begin to understand ourselves. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Thoreau said the first quote. Yoda II. Michael Vargas, the medieval historian from the State University of New York in New Paltz, says hermits have a lot to say and to teach people. In modern times, Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk, 
was described by Time magazine as the most publicly visible Christian contemplative since St. Simeon took refuge on top of a pillar. Merton's pillar, however, was not an 11-square-foot platform, but instead the written word. As a reckless youth in his 20s, Merton became one of the most well-known hermits in the last 50 years. A silent hermit who spoke through print against racial inequities and the Vietnam War. Those words in books and articles took Merton from a silent, anonymous life as a Trappist monk, where he had to rise early and pray to becoming an international best-selling author. These stories can really, I think, help people to see that in what they might define as loneliness, there is opportunity for something else. That something else might be just relabeled. I mean, loneliness suggests sadness and lacking and uh, being without companions, some kind of absence. But solitude is a way of being. It's a way of being that can lead us, anyone, to find the voice needed to speak about what it is we want for ourselves and for others to know. Lockdowns around the world have taken away the choice for many who are alone. They don't want the isolation imposed on them. But for centuries in religious and in secular life, there are people who chose to remove themselves from society. It could be for long periods of time. Karen Fredette entered a monastery after high school and then to a cabin by herself for six years. Henry David Thoreau lived for two years, two months, and two days in the woods. If you are a hermit, being alone is an option to consider when the world around you doesn't feel quite right, when there's something that troubles you. Solitude can, for some of us, be a better companion than company. Loneliness provides an opportunity to engage with yourself, and as Paul and Karen Fredette have done, it can then lead to sharing knowledge of what it's like to choose solitude. And what can be learned when we are alone can change our recognition of how to engage with the world. Without that solitude, serious work is impossible, according to many serious hermits and great artists. Those who choose to live like hermits invariably find out that others will seek them out to learn how to find a great warrior or to engage in civil disobedience. To do or do not, there is no try. We may be alone, but we are alone together. Alone Together was directed by Callie O'Reilly. Sound engineer is Jeff Devine. The music is composed by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. Our producers are Debbie O'Reilly and Guillermo Serrano. I'm Peg Fong, the host and writer, and the idea for this episode came to me on February the 2nd when I emerged from my writing cave and realized it was Groundhog Day. If you like this episode, check out some of our earlier shows from this season. Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We love to hear from our listeners. Find us at apostrophepodcast.ca. 
and connect with us on social at apostrophe pod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.